The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. So does God call a Jewish believer in Jesus to live differently than a Gentile believer in Jesus? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire broadcast. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. 866-348-7884. Your questions need to be Jewish-related today. So if it's a Jewish-related question, comment, relates to Israel today, relates to the Hebrew language, Jewish tradition, relates to Messianic prophecy, Jewish background to the New Testament, as long as it's Jewish-related, 866-348-7884. The high holy days on the biblical calendar, the fall holy days begin in, well, less than two weeks We'll, we'll probably put off discussion about that in more depth till next week as we're, we're really right in on that season. But, of course, you're free to ask questions along those lines. I do want to talk to you about a very interesting post I just saw on my friend Jonathan, Jonathan Feldstein's Facebook page. Jonathan's an Orthodox Jew, and we have come together to combat anti-Semitism and wrong teaching in the church at different times. In the midst of our differences, we are genuine friends with mutual respect He's got a very interesting post about five pure red heifers that have just arrived in Israel, creating quite a commotion. You say, what? What's that about? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to get to it. And more, of course, on the broadcast on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. But welcome, welcome to the show. And, and I want to dive into a question. That's a perennial question, which is how should Jewish believers in Jesus live? Should they live exactly the same as Gentile Christians? Are they commanded to observe Torah in light of the new covenant? Is it something that's good but not commanded? Is that going backwards? Is that putting up a wall of division in the church? Or conversely, should all Gentile Christians live by the, uh, the, the, the Torah, the Sinai covenant? That's the question. Uh, just the other day, I saw a meme. It was a guy from a few hundred years back, and he's looking at, looks like the Bible or a book, and he's struggling with, and that's the picture. And then the meme says, I still haven't figured out where it says the Bible changed the Sabbath to Sunday. So just to generate discussion on the Ask Dr. Brown Facebook page, I posted the meme and said, let the debate begin. Now, I did it for two reasons. One, I wanted people to have healthy interaction on a perennially debated subject. And two, I wanted to demonstrate just how much passion there was about this. I mean, I, I looked away because I'm not able to follow comments generally on social media uh, as we're on many sites and there are thousands of comments. And of course, there's only so much time in a day. But I came back minutes later and there were scores and scores of comments I come back an hour later, well over five or 600 comments, and it's gone to several thousand, and I imagine it will continue. So these are questions of interest, for sure, and not just abstract. What I want to do is lay out the various different views, tell you where I stand, 
then just give you food for thought to work, work out in your own life. All right? Let's, let's start first in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. The context here, Paul is talking about divorce, marriage, and things like that. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the congregations. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God, by which Paul clearly means in terms of our salvation, circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing, but keeping the commandments of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. All right, so let's, let's think first in physical terms. There was actually surgery that could be done, painful, difficult surgery to kind of uncircumcise a man. And you say, why on earth would anyone dream of going through that? Well, in the ancient world, let's say you were competing in athletic games, men would compete nude. So if you were circumcised in an environment where that was considered wrong, or you're going to be singled out as a Jew, you might want to hide your Jewishness, or just in other settings, a public bathhouse or something like that, you, want to, you might want to hide your circumcision, hence a painful uncircumcision argument. But obviously there's more Paul's talking about than something physical, because he's talking to a Gentile believer about being circumcised. That wouldn't have been for hygiene reasons or health reasons. That would have been in conversion to Judaism. So Paul is saying... If you got saved as a Jew, don't stop living like a Jew. If you got saved as a Gentile, don't try to live as a Jew. Be who you are in God, because in terms of your identity in the Lord, you're in the Messiah. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female, there's neither slave nor free, even though those categories certainly exist in our world, and there are different exhortations given to men versus women and slaves versus masters. Certainly, there's diversity within the body. And Paul is saying, let that diversity be there. But in terms of your salvation, being circumcised or not doesn't determine your relationship with God, doesn't determine forgiveness of sins through Jesus. That transcends circumcision. And your identity is found being in Messiah, in Christ, not in being circumcised or uncircumcised. All right? Now, I want to read something else that Paul wrote. And then I want to break down the parameters of what this could potentially mean. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul is explaining how he lives as an apostle and what his ministry consists of. And he says this, we'll start in verse 19. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews... I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Well, he was a Jew, right? But he, he did something additional. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So he says, on the one hand, when he came to his own Jewish people, who became as a Jew, to win the Jews. That would mean, that would suggest that he took on traditions he didn't have to in order to win his own people. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. So he's saying, I put myself under obligations under the Torah that I didn't have to because I don't stand in that relationship of being under the Torah as I once would have been before Messiah. But I want to win those who are under the law, under the Torah. And then he says, those outside the laws became, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So meaning, when he's reaching Gentiles, he didn't worship idols and commit adultery and, and murder because that's what they did because they weren't under the law. No, he said, I, I lived as one outside the law, meaning I didn't have to keep all the things that a Jewish person would keep because I was with the Gentiles, but I was still under the law of Christ. There's still Messiah's law that I had to live by. All that to say, it's a nuanced discussion. It's not some little simple black and white discussion. Now, you go through the book of Acts, how did Paul live? He lived as a Jew. On several occasions, you know, Acts 18, he takes out a Nazarite vow that's voluntary. Acts 21, he goes into the temple to demonstrate that he has not been teaching Jewish believers to, to leave the customs of the people and to stop circumcising their sons. And then later he says to the Sanhedrin, I've, I haven't done anything against the customs of my people. And he could go into synagogue and speak and be received as a Jewish leader. So he was still living as a Jew and looking like a Jew. But he is saying, and then he identified himself as being a Pharisee, speaking to the Sanhedrin. But he, he also understood that he did not have to be under all of these things because his relationship to the Torah had changed through the coming of the Messiah. And he had now died to the law in one sense that he might live to God. And now the righteous commandments of the Torah are written on his heart. So it's not discard the law. It's stand in a different relationship to it. So as followers of the Messiah, we are not under the law, meaning we are not under the condemnation of the law. That's one thing. It also means that we are not under the law as a system of righteousness or under the law in terms of bringing us to the Messiah. But the law is holy, just, and good, and we now follow it by the Spirit. So what exactly does that mean? I'm going to share my own beliefs, my own convictions here, all right? I do not believe that Jewish believers in Yeshua are commanded by God to keep all of the Sinai covenant they can in light of the Spirit or New Covenant. I don't believe that. Just as massive portions of the Sinai covenant have found their fulfillment in the Messiah, like the blood sacrifices and the temple priesthood and things like that, that, that there have been changes through the new and better covenant. However, I do believe God writes on our hearts in different ways what he requires of us as Jewish believers to be faithful to our calling. Because many of us who got saved, yes, we were circumcised, and yes, we were Jewish, but many of us were nominal. In other words, we were living like Gentiles when we got saved. So to now get saved and think we're going to live like the most traditional Jews on the planet is, is quite mistaken and misguided. 
On the other hand, there is something about our calling as Jews that should be worked out. At the same time, I do not believe that Gentile Christians have that same call because their calling is different and their identity and their heritage is different. So everything written in the New Testament that's a command for all of us, we all do. But we realize there may be expressions that we have as Jewish believers on varied ways in terms of how he wants us to live and how that works out that now highlight and, 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 and show the diversity of the beliefs and customs and backgrounds of those who were raised Gentile and who were not circumcised. And the one doesn't try to become the other because we each have a unique identity. So let us continue as we were living before we were saved in terms of Jewish or Gentile identity. But let that be worked out by the spirit in each of our lives. That's how I understand it. Feel free to agree or disagree. 866-348-7884. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to a thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Michael Brown here. Here's the number to call with your Jewish-related question of any kind, 866 866- 34TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Little less than an hour from now, we'll be back on the Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel, A-S-K-D-R Brown on YouTube, and we will be doing our Q&A, our exclusive YouTube Q&A chat. We try to do these weekly, sometimes with travel. I have to back it up to every other week, so we haven't done it in a couple weeks. Eager to be back with you. Everybody watching on YouTube, Make sure you go and click the thumbs up button. Help spread the broadcast. Watching on Facebook, click the share button. Let's help get the word out. All right. I want to talk to you in a little while about the red heifers, about what the scripture says about that. And is this significant? Does this point more to the rebuilding of the third temple? Is it event of prophetic importance or just another of these sensationalistic things that where people get off track and get caught up with all kinds of prophetic speculation and there's nothing really to it. We'll, we'll talk about that as well. First, let's go to the phones starting in Indiana. Melissa, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I have a question um, about uh, salvation and um, I... Uh, I'm a Gentile, um, and so I started looking into, um, like, Messianic Jews and what they believed, um, and I got very confused, uh, you know, with uh, that, like, seeing if, you know, I was told that we had to keep the Sabbath, and, you know, there were different things that we still had to do, um, and then uh, I moved off into hypergrace, um, and... Um, out of all of this, uh, I I was I withdrew from the Lord, um, and I wanted to ask you, like, you know, and um, is there a time that the Lord will cast His judgment on us still, like in the in the you know the Old Testament, um, how judgment came down on individuals? Does He still have that judgment come down? Um, in the New Testament, 
um, because I, I believe that that, I believe I've, I've lost, not, you said that you can't lose it, but I believe that I've forsaken my salvation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you said that when that happens, the Holy Spirit leaves. Um, and the thing is, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know what that looks like to have the Holy Spirit. Like, I know what I'm experiencing. Um, and I still like, cause I still want a relationship with, with God, but there's incredible amounts of fear. And I've had incredible demonic, like, I mean, where I've seen and heard the demonic, I've been hospitalized for it. And it mm. all came, it all came from, um, me. I was in a place of, I was a hypocrite. I was teaching a Bible study, even though I wasn't reading the word myself and I wasn't praying and, and I had even, like, under my breath, I had mocked God and worship, like, not saying I don't want you. It was never like I don't want you. It was, I just didn't understand, like, I didn't understand about being in the Word. And um, I really didn't get that, like, how vital that was, even though there was prompting for me to read. I ignored it. Um, and I chose to um, basically, like, dismiss. It was an emotional response. I was very angry. I dismissed the student. Um, and I woke a few days later hearing you've judged and you're being judged and unforgiving servants. And then terror hit me and like the sense that I was going to hell. And, um, and then it was about a month later, I was put to my knees in my living room and out of the depths came like, we've done it. We've done it. We've won the victory like out of me. And I saw this flash of the saints in white. And then from that point, I started like seeing and hearing the demonic and, and like, I thought I was back under the law and like, I thought the rapture was happening and. Yeah. So, so Melissa, yeah. So, so let me, let me just uh, jump in here. Not sure what happened to our connection. Are we, are we good? Uh, Somehow it seems like something just dropped out in my hearing here, but if, if everyone says we're, we're good, then we're, then we're good. I'll just keep going. Uh, so, so Melissa, I, I'm truly sorry to hear all this. Uh, it's grievous. And everyone listening, watching right now, would you, would you pray for Melissa? Would you lift her up to the Lord? And would you, would you pray for God to set her free? Because she's obviously under demonic attack here. First thing, Melissa, I want to encourage you to, uh, I want to encourage you to ignore every voice, every thought, except for what is written directly in the scriptures. All right? Let me say that again. Ignore every voice, every thought, vision, dream, anything that is not explicitly recorded in the scriptures. All you care about is what God has said. And, and what he has said, Jesus says this. Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. John, the sixth chapter, 37th verse. Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Come to me, all you who are labored, burdened down, and I will give you rest. That is his promise to you, Melissa. If you come to him with your burdens, with your weights, with your concerns, he will give you rest. 
It is his promise that if you come to him, he will not cast you out. You say, well, I've, I've sinned in many ways, and I've been guilty in, in many ways. Okay, Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to me. What does God say? I will have mercy on him. I will abundantly pardon. Read through Psalm 103 over and over. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. Like a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. If you want God, he will not push you away. If, if you've become confused along the way, he will not push you away. What I, didn't, I want to encourage you to do, and, and we're going we're gonna to pray for you right now, all right? But what I want to encourage you to do is, is find a simple gospel preaching church, right, where it's just majoring on the majors, preaching Jesus, drawing people to the Lord, getting people grounded in the word. And, and if you're in a church like that, sit down with your pastor and just say, I've, I've opened myself up to all kinds of confusion. I feel like I'm under demonic attack, but I want the Lord. Jesus is drawing you. He's not pushing you away because of your confusion. He's drawing you to be in right relationship with him. And what does it say in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is one way of salvation for all, Jew and Gentile. It's by the cross of Jesus. Some Messianic Jews may feel it's important to observe the Sabbath. Wonderful, but that's not what saves them. Some Gentile Christians may say, I've always set aside Sunday as a holy day to God. Wonderful, but that's not what saves them. What saves us is the same blood of Yeshua, the same blood of Jesus. We come with our sin, our weakness, our disobedience, our guilt, and he has mercy on us and saves us. Go back to the basics. Don't worry about all these other things, timing of the rapture. Don't worry about that. Simply know the mercy of God is there for you. And unless you shut the door on God and say, I do not want you in my life, he is pursuing you. He has called and even pursued you then. But he said he won't leave us or forsake us, right? He's with us always. That's what he said. So he hasn't left you or forsaken you. You may have walked away, but he's calling you back. So I want to pray for you right now. Something happened on my connection where I'm unable to hear the other side here. So I'm just going to, that's why I'm just speaking to you now rather than interacting. But everybody pray for Melissa and then back to the basics. Back to the basics, back to the cross, back to the blood of Jesus, back to the love of God, back to simply following him and obeying him. Anything that confuses you as you're reading the Bible, step back, read the things that are clear to you, all right? Don't, don't get caught up in all kinds of speculation. Don't spend the next month studying the book of Revelation. Read the Gospels. Drink that in, all right? And whatever else is, you may need deliverance. You may have come into demonic power. So hopefully there's a church, gospel preaching church that can help pray for you as well. Father, in Jesus' name, in the name of Yeshua, we pray for Melissa now. Lord, set her free from confusion. 
break every stronghold that is out to destroy her, Lord. We, as your people, rebuke demonic power and influence in Yeshua's name. Father, bring her liberty, bring her freedom, set her free, give her clarity of heart, clarity of mind, and reestablish her life in you. Solid, strong, committed, filled, afresh by you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for calling, opening yourself up. Everybody, let's pray her through today so that we can hear great news in the days and months ahead. God bless you, and thank you again for calling. All right, hopefully we will we will uh, be able to hear on my end as well, so we'll be able to take some more calls, 866-348-7884. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Oh, yes. Praise the Lord, all the nations. Michael Brown, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. It turns out we just had a, a box that was unplugged that plugged into my earphones. That's why I couldn't hear, but so glad that you could hear me. Uh, but we can take your calls. 866-348-7884. We still have room on our Israel trip. We basically filled uh, our vacancies, hotel rooms that we had. We're able to open up uh, more rooms so that we can bring some extra folks for us, but we do have a limit and we've been sharing news with uh, about the tour with a lot of people. So if you're planning on going, now's the time to sign up. AskDrBrown.org. A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. You'll see it right on the homepage, first or second item that will come up. Okay, before we go back to the phones, uh, let me show you this announcement. My friend Jonathan Feldstein, Orthodox Jew in Israel. We've genuinely become friends. Uh, he posted on his Facebook page today, came up in my feed, and for those watching, we're going to put this up for you. Extraordinary celebration with the arrival of five pure red heifers in Israel an hour ago at the cargo section of Ben-Gurion Airport. The first time in nearly 2,000 years, simply incredible. So you have these various Orthodox rabbis and they are in these pictures. And in fact, we've got a whole bunch of pictures here. And there are the, the red heifers. There's Jonathan uh, next to the, the truck that's bringing them in. Three of them there. Uh, Ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, in a circle. I guess they were dancing, celebrating. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pre- <laughs> and more pictures of the heifers there. It's a pretty remarkable scene. You think, okay, well, why does it matter? Why does it matter? So I, I've, got the, I've got the utmost respect for Jonathan, and obviously he's conveying something of, of, of great importance within Israel. Now, I, I've never been one to follow this. I've never been one to, here's the latest report of the red heifer, there's the latest report of the red heifer. You say, well, what's the red heifer? I don't even get any of this. Okay, so let's, let's back up. Let's go over to Numbers chapter 19, all right? 
Numbers chapter 19. And here's what it says, beginning in verse 1. Numbers 19, 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, this is the ritual law. In Hebrew, it's, it's a chukah. So chukah can mean statute, ritual law, that the Lord has commanded. Instruct the Israelite people to bring you a red cow, so red heifer, without blemish, in which there is no defect and on which no yoke has been laid. Right? So it's got to be without blemish or defect, and it's, it's never been put to work. It's never been a yoke laid on it. You shall give it to Eleazar, the priest. It shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Eleazar, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tent of meeting. The cow shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, flesh, and blood shall be burned. Its dung included. So you kill it, then you burn it. And the priest shall take cedarwood, hyssop, and crimson stuff and throw them into the fire, consuming the cow. The priest shall wash his garments and bathe his blood in water. After that, the priest may enter the camp, but he shall be unclean until evening. He who performed the burning shall also wash his garments in water, bathe his body in water, and be unclean until evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the cow and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place to be kept for water, for lustration, for washing, for the Israelite community, for its cleansing. He who gathers up the ashes of the cow shall also wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. This shall be a permanent law for the Israelites and the strangers who reside among you. Now, how is this going to be used? These ashes, these ashes of the red heifer. He who touches the corpse of an human being shall be unclean for seven days. He shall cleanse himself with it on the third day and on the seventh day and then be clean. If he fails to cleanse himself on the third and seventh days, he shall not be clean. Whoever touches a corpse, the body of a person who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the Lord's tabernacle. That person shall be cut off from Israel. Since the water of lustration was not dashed on him, he remains unclean. His uncleanness is still in Potom. And it goes on with further laws like that. Now, it, it's, it's somewhat mystical in terms of why. Why the red heifer? Obviously, Christian preachers over the years have said, well, red, that's like the blood of Jesus. You got crimson involved, it's like the blood of Jesus. Well, you'd preach that. But obviously, in terms of given to Israel in its ancient context, that was not the focus there. Why the specific ingredients involved? And uh, it, it's, it's a disputed matter. In fact, the, it's called the chukah, right? So you have chok, chukah, same word in Hebrew, masculine, feminine forms. And uh, some Jewish commentators have said that means a law without any rational explanation. It just is. Do this. It just is. Now, certain things you're told, do this because it's good for you. Do this because it's good for family life. Do this lest you spread injustice or immorality in the land. Other things, just do it because it's right. In other words, you might make a case based on hygiene, based on health, as to why you don't want to eat pig and why God forbade pig. But you can't necessarily do that with every single animal that God forbid. Why this, this, this? Some cases, you don't know. You just do it because he says so. All right? So we don't know. You may have your own theory. I certainly don't know why it was done in this way. But here's the big deal. There are traditional Jews who say that we can't think about rebuilding the third temple until we have 
the red heifer without blemish, without defect that has never been put under a yoke. Because otherwise, we remain in a state of ritual uncleanness. In other words, we can never go through ritual cleansing at the temple because we don't have the ashes of the red heifer. And as insignificant as that may sound to some, remember that, that rabbinic law puts a great emphasis on these things, on aspects of ritual purity. And the Torah puts a great emphasis on it. Rabbinic law goes even further with it. But the Torah puts an emphasis on that as well. So if there is to be a third temple built, this is one of the missing ingredients. So there are people that have been on watch for the red heifer for years, for decades. And they're Christians that this has been a big focus. And the new, oh, here's a report. It's red, it's, it's red heifer's born. So first the cow has to be born red. Then it's got to be without defect. Well, maybe it's born without defect, but six months later, it's got a blemish here or a defect there or uh, can't use it. So one candidate after another candidate after another candidate gets disqualified, right? Now five have been shipped in, which gives traditional Jews real hope that the coming of Messiah could be even nearer. Now, what's my own perspective? I have never paid any attention to red heifer stuff. It's not meant anything to me because there's so many other things I'm looking at. And I also realized that when we set dates, they're invariably wrong. That I was told Jesus was coming any minute 50 years ago when I came to faith. So it's, it's very, very easy to get caught up in this, this another sign. And, and, and in the meantime, we're, we're not nice to our spouse. We don't spend quality time with our kids. We don't share the gospel with our neighbor. Oh, but we're all caught up with this. All right. So we, we, don't, we don't want to get caught up. But it's interesting. It's interesting to me because it's interesting to the traditional Jewish community. It's interesting to me because there are rabbis in Israel who find it interesting. And there are rabbis in Israel who are going to be talking even more about times of, of Mashiach, times of Messiah. Now, please understand this. The vast majority of traditional Jews are expecting the Messiah to build the temple. All right? They're expecting that when the Messiah is revealed, here's a great Jewish teacher, here's a great scholar, here's someone that has, has even spoken prophecy, and, and whoa! And now he's, he's causing this Torah revival within Israel. And now more and more just multitudes of Jews now are, 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 are following the laws of Moses and are turning away from their secular lives and their sinful lives. And wow, something's happening. Wow. And, and more and more Jews coming back to the land of Israel. Wow, something's happening. Could, could this man, could it be? Could this man be the Messiah? Remember, they're not waiting for him to come on the clouds of heaven. Traditional Jews are waiting for him to be among us and then revealed. Well, how will you know he's the Messiah? Well, if he rebuilds the temple. It's, wow, it's, it's, got, well, it's almost certain. And then succeeds regathering the exiles, bringing the Jewish people into Torah obedience, fighting the wars of the Lord, fighting against the, the wicked enemies of Israel, either literally, as has been normally understood, or at least metaphorically, then he must be the Messiah. He must be the Messiah. So traditional Jews are, are not primarily waiting for their own initiative to, to build a third temple, even if it could be built, even if it was possible to build because it's the, what's understood to be the location is Dome of the Rock. So unless they determine it's some other location, it can't be built right now. But there are other Jews, traditional Jews, 
who say, look, we thought that we should not have a new state of Israel until Messiah comes. Messiah will regather the exiles and establish the state. But now we realize it's good that we have the state, especially after the Holocaust. And this is part of the ushering in of the redemption. Now Jews coming from around the world and over 6 million Jews living in Israel. That's part of the hastening of the redemption. So we, we go ahead and build the temple and that will hasten the coming of the Messiah. Now that's the minority position. But many would say, well, this is another sign that the Messiah will soon be revealed because we have these red heifers, not just one, but five. So when there's more talk in Israel and among religious Jews about the coming of the Messiah and the Messiah being near, I always like that because the more talk about the Messiah, the better. And the more we can engage and talk about who Mashiach really is and, and, and why we're not just waiting for him to be revealed among us, he's already been revealed among us and will return in glory to us. We must understand who he is and why we've been without a temple for 2,000 years when God has been shouting there is a better way through the blood of the Messiah. So it's interesting. It's interesting to me because it's interesting to traditional Jews in Israel. Not because I've been on the red heifer watch myself, but because all this talk leads to more talk about Mashiach and more opportunities for us to share Yeshua Jesus with our Jewish people. All right, if you've got a Jewish-related question, now is the perfect time to call. 866-348-7884. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I... Welcome back to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown here, 866-34-TRUTH. So, a little less than 30 minutes from now, 415 Eastern Time, and our YouTube channel, that's Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown. Join us for our exclusive YouTube Q&A chat. You can post anything you want on any subject that relates in any way to stuff we cover here on the air, and we get to as many questions as we can. You don't have to call, just type it in, and we get, we get to a whole bunch of questions. I just remembered, Dr. Mark Stengler is joining us on the air tomorrow. Yes, Ask Dr. Stengler. He is, uh, has been voted Doctor of the Decade, well-trained in all aspects of medicine, traditional Western medicine, naturopathic medicine, and he's going to be taking your medical and health-related questions. He loves the Lord. He's an apologist, an evangelist. He'll be joining us on the Israel trip next year, God willing, uh, with some of his family. He and his wife, also another doctor, uh, Dr. Angela, saying that they're going to be, we're going to have one night where they answer your questions health and medical in person in Israel. How's that? Uh, but he's going to be on with us tomorrow. So we're going to, we haven't done this in months. Any, any questions you want to ask him health related? Yeah. Nutrition related, personal. We're going through this or that. He loves 
taking your questions on the phone, and he's going to do that tomorrow. Okay, C can I share a little of my history with you, my own personal history? When I was bar mitzvah, this was the age of 13, I had to learn to chant a portion of Scripture in the Hebrew Bible. Now, I, I was a nominal Jew. If I had been a religious Jew, I would have been intimately familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, and I would have had my whole passage memorized, and I would have known exactly what it said and what it was about. But I was nominal, meaning that we only went to synagogue as a family on the high holy days, that I only went to uh, Sabbath, uh, Shabbat services on a regular basis leading up to my bar mitzvah because I was required to. Normally, I, if I went with my dad, we came in partway through the service. In fact, I remember being there for the whole service when I was bar mitzvah. It's like, wow, I've never seen a lot of this before. So I was nominal. I very much knew I was Jewish. I very much knew that we Jews were different than the Gentiles, Christians. In my mind, Gentile, Christian, Catholic, those all synonymous. So we weren't them. We didn't believe what they believed, right? But I was not a religious Jew. So when I was bar mitzvah, I, I read a portion of scripture, as was required, and I learned to chant it, sat with the rabbi for weeks and would learn the right cantillation. And remember, it's, it was hard for me to read it because I didn't read Hebrew that well. Just had a few years of very minimal Hebrew school. And it didn't dawn on me to say, what am I reading in English? Could someone show me the passage so I can study it and understand? Didn't dawn on me. This was a religious rite to go through. Like, let's just say perhaps you were raised Catholic and for confirmation, you, you had to read through a passage of scripture from the Vulgate in Latin. And you just learned it in Latin so you could read it, but you didn't even know what you're reading. That's how it was. And I, I honestly don't recall at any point the rabbi saying to me, okay, here's what the passage is. This is what it's about. This is why it's spiritually significant. I don't remember any of that. If he ever said it, I don't remember it. So that's how nominal it was. By the time I came to faith, now uh, three plus years later, three and a half years later, as a, as a heavy drug user, totally into rock music and decadent living, whatever Hebrew I had, I mean, barely remembered the letters, okay? And a few words here and there and some Jewish history, but that was it. I was nominal, all right? So when people think, oh, Mike, you're Jewish, so you can really help us understand the Bible. Why? I didn't know. How would that be the case? I, I, had, I didn't know the Bible at all. I didn't know the Hebrew Scriptures at all. I could barely read Hebrew. I barely knew a few words. The only thing I, I could relate to was the visions in the book of Revelation because all the hallucinogenic drugs I did. Right? I mean, it's seriously, though, how? Oh, here, you're Jewish. You'll understand the Bible. But why? I didn't have that heritage. So... As a new believer, the local rabbi challenged me. And he said, look, I can see you're sincere in your faith and all that, but, but you don't know Hebrew. How can you tell us what to believe? We've been studying this all our lives. And then, you know, back through the generations. Who are you to tell us what to believe? Well, it was a challenge. I mean, I knew God had changed my life. I was in the Word. I was praying. I was zealous. But I was reading an English Bible, and he's telling me it's mistranslating the Hebrew. The New Testament writers are mistranslating the Hebrew and so on. How can I push back? So I remember 18 years old, August 1973, meeting with ultra-Orthodox rabbis uh, from Chabad, 
Lubavitch Rabbi. So ultra-Orthodox Jews from Brooklyn, uh, their movement has grown dramatically over the decades. And sitting with them, and we're going back and forth. We spent hours together. I mean, I was very zealous. And at, at that point, I had read through the Bible cover to cover about five times. I had memorized probably over 4,000 verses in King James. I used to memorize 20 verses a day in, until I had a full-time job in the summer. And between that and multiple church services, I didn't have as much time as I had before. But I, I witnessed every, I, I led people to the Lord out of Jehovah's Witnesses, out of different groups, and my friends, drug-using friends, one after another after another, getting dramatically saved as I shared the gospel with them. So I'm ready to share with the rabbis, right? So I'm throwing something at them. They go, oh, oh they were very nice guys. They go, oh, no, those English translations, look, 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 trust it. Look, we're not lying to you. And then they pull out their Hebrew Bible, and they start, they read, and they go, look, we'll go slowly. Now I'm like a little kindergarten kid. A, B, C. And they're the teachers, right? And they're, they say, no, 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 we're not lying. Look, this, this Hebrew says this. Your English says this. Well, that's very intimidating. They're very nice. They were not nasty, overbearing at all. In fact, that's one of the things that was appealing. But it shook me. It's like, I mean, is this right? Am I getting this wrong? I, I knew that Jesus had changed my life, but here are these words. to see a rabbi saying, look, we learn it from our fathers. We learn it from their fathers. Their fathers all the way back to Moses. They're sitting there with the, the long beards and the, reading the Hebrew and pulling out their Hebrew books. Who am I? I'm going to some church with an English Bible. So I, I realized, okay, I've, I've got to study more. I've, I've got to learn more. I've, I know that my life has been changed, but I can't shut my mind off. You know, God didn't call us to shut our brains off. We love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, right? We worship in spirit and in truth. So I, I thought I've just got to learn I only went to college to honor my parents and I started as a music major because that's where I thought I had most gifting, but I started taking Hebrew classes. Unfortunately, they were modern Hebrew and I was interested in biblical. Uh, because of that, I never worked hard on modern Hebrew, even when, when I could be in conversations and all my classes were taught in Hebrew and I had to do all my tests in Hebrew. I, I never spoke well and that's been decades ago. So my modern Hebrew is, is weak. I mean, I could hear and understand and converse some, but it's been weak. What I did is I taught myself biblical Hebrew. I started to dive in in that. And then I just took more and more Hebrew courses. And I thought, you know, I'm going to major in Hebrew. And then I, 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 I took a couple years of Arabic because I wanted, to, I wanted to understand sister languages to Hebrew. And then I thought, well, New Testament was written in Greek. I took a year of Greek. Well, and Latin was an important theological language. I took a year of Latin. Well, I saw so much academic literature on the Bible is written in German, so I, I took a year of German, German reading. And then, well, Yiddish, that's the common language of the Jewish people and for centuries now, so I took a year of Yiddish. So not the wisest thing to take six languages at the same time uh, while you're learning them afresh, which I did in college. But then I, w I was so consumed with wanting to learn and study more, so that's why I went on and got my master's degree in, in Near Eastern languages and literatures and, and added in, Aramaic, Syriac, and, and Ugaritic, and Akkadian, which is Babylonian, Assyrian, and, and, and other smaller dialects, Phoenician, and Punic, and, you know, inscriptions, and Moabite, and those kinds of different things, and little Ethiopic, and so on, Gez. So, so I dove into it, and then got my PhD in that field. So yes, I, I got really into it and, and consumed with the thing itself, but, but I was so, I was so committed to really, really understanding the original text in the original languages. 
and not have to I didn't want to have to rely on what the rabbi said or what the Christian scholars said. I want to be able to read it myself and look at the dictionary, but then come to my own decisions as to what I believed and understood. And that's why I did it. And now it's funny because so much I first taught myself and then I was in classes where there are ancient texts that my pronunciation is still, still not good. I never learned to really say things like an Israeli would pronounce today. So even when I speak modern Hebrew, it's, it's weak in that respect. But I, I, I have, it has been an incredible journey because the more I dug and the more I studied, remember all the professors I studied with didn't believe what I believed. Not a single one, not a single professor in all my years in college and grad school believed what I believed or had the perspective I had. And some were very friendly. Some were quite hostile. Some didn't engage on the religious issues at all. But, I was kind of thrown in from, from early on in the Lord into deep waters with a lot of pitfalls along the way. And the more I studied, the more I learned, the more encouraged I became, the more I said, wow, this is consistent. And this does make sense. And what seems like a mistranslation, the, the, there was just something else going on. There was another point that they were making. And wow. So I encourage you, come to God with your, your questions and, and be honest, because if you dig, with a pure heart before him, not, not to prove God wrong. But Lord, I want the truth, and I want to follow the truth wherever it leads. God will lead you into all truth. All right, friends, 15 minutes from now, we'll be back on YouTube, ASK Dear Brown on YouTube, with our exclusive weekly Q&A chat. Talk to you soon. Another program powered by the Truth Network.